Good morning. We continue our 40 days of prayer, and we're following along in a devotional written by Christian Missionary Alliance leadership. And today's devotional continues in the theme of, of really the next generation and the obligations of, and responsibility of those of us who have walked with Christ to pass on our faith to those who come after us. And the writer of today's um, devotional, in the Alliance devotion, he takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and emphasizing the part of, of chapter 6 where it says, Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. And here's his comment on this. He's the national youth uh, pastor for the Christian Missionary Alliance. He says this, these verses in Deuteronomy 6 emphasize the older generation's powerful responsibility to be the initiators of that one conversation with the next generation that will change their life. It's not a teen's responsibility to ask about Jesus and what it is like to follow him. It is an adult's responsibility to inform them every moment possible how good and wonderful it is to follow after Jesus and to invite them to try it for themselves. You just might be the person who has the one conversation that changes their life forever. So his emphasis is on verses uh, 6 and 7 and about the, the responsibility, particularly the family responsibility, but also the community responsibility to pass on uh, the faith to the next generation. That I thought, as we think about that, and think about that important responsibility, it's important really to look at all of Deuteronomy 6, because Deuteronomy 6 is a, is a powerful statement by Moses. And I would say that in some ways, this is, this is Moses' prayer request when he even uh, as he speaks these words, he's inviting uh, the people to live a supernatural life with God. So, chapter six of Deuteronomy begins a whole new unit where Moses is beginning to focus on life in the Promised Land. Up to then, in, in chapters one through four. He's, he's, he, he, he's setting the stage by reminding them of key events in their journey. How they had, how God had led them. How they had come to the very brink of the promised land. In chapter 5, he represents to them the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And then he discusses with them and reminds them the events 
that led up to the Ten Commandments being given. Now, something interesting happens here. Something that's reflected in Jesus' own understanding of the way that God works, of God's heart. Moses has spent so much time in the presence of God that in chapter 6 he says, now this is the commandment, singular. He doesn't say this is the commandments. He says this is the commandment, singular. That's pretty, it, this is a powerful idea here. Yes, there are statutes and there are ordinances. And all of these are important, these precepts, these laws. But Moses says, this is the commandment. You know, this is pretty amazing when you think about it. Because we're going to get to some of the mo these most famous verses, verses 4 through, through 9. But when you look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6, this idea of a singular commandment, you know what Moses is doing? Moses is preaching. Moses is preaching his final sermon. Moses is presenting his most important prayer request. And, and he knows that he's not going to get to enter into the promised land. God has already spoken that to him. He could see it from the mountain. I got to go up to that mountain in Jordan and where Moses stood and looked over the promised land. It was quite an experience. But Moses, that's as close as he got because of his disobedience. He understands, friends, how important obedience is. And so he takes all of these different statutes and all of these different precepts and commandments that we would say, and he says, commandment. I mean, we've seen this before in some other ways. If you, if you ever uh, follow those who, who are uh, in, in the Jewish tradition who, who study, they study Torah, not, not laws, but the law. And so all of this, if we begin to understand God is, is summing up. Uh, that's, this is really what, chap, this is what chapter 6 is about. Yes, Moses is going to detail all the laws of life, all the commandments, all the statutes, all the limitations and stuff, but he's going he's gonna to lay it out as a single commandment. And that commandment is going to need to guide and govern how they look at all the other laws, at all the other statutes, at all the other ordinances. Because they're going to be, live in a land where there's going to be a lot of temptations, where there's going to be a lot of new challenges. Life in the promised land will be different. The challenges, the temptations will be different. And so Moses is really stressing what he feels is most important before he dies. He wants his words, this request, this prayer request to ring in Israel's ears. He wants it written so that, that it's ever before their eyes for future reading and hearing. He wants them to understand this singular commandment. 
and and he explains in in so many ways and this is our really our theme for today is he's saying this instruction that I'm giving to you is not only necessary but it's beneficial it's a blessing when it results in in the proper type of obedience the the promise that Moses is giving given giving here is that into future generations it'll go and it'll even extend their lives uh, verse 2 has the promise that it will give them long life now Moses is really preaching in this passage and in around chapter 6 he's about mid-sermon so he's gonna he's gonna put all of his might into the idea of keeping the Torah keeping the law keeping the commandment and he he's he he says to them that there are consequences beneficial if you do good destructive if you do bad matter of fact he makes it so so dire later in Deuteronomy he says you you could be lost this land could be lost if you do not obey so here <laughs> the words that he uses he says here this is one of the things he said he's saying if you want things to go well then hear what the Lord has to say and and it doesn't just mean to listen but it means to hear in such a way that you're already predisposed to say yes in a way this this is Moses saying in a Hebrew imperative listen up hear this and then he begins he begins the Shema this is this is the thing that Orthodox and devout Jews recite at least twice a day in the morning and at night in accordance with the Shema itself verse uh, 7 of chapter 6 now the Shema is this the Lord is our God you see how this fits for a generation that wants to pass on their faith to the next generation that there has to be this personal experience I belong to God the Lord is our God we belong to him he belongs to us in a sense as well in the sense of you know <laughs> He's God and we're not, but but that idea of the personal possessive pronoun here, our God. And then he, and then the way it's translated, the Lord alone. See, there's an exclusivity to our worship. There's an exclusivity that comes forth not only in, in Moses' sermon here in Deuteronomy, but it comes forth in the Ten Commandments it begins with that the Lord is is our God but he is our God alone there are no other gods for us but him Do you see how important this is as you're trying to reach a next generation that you can in one on one hand say that I have faith I have trust in God and yet children young people can see right through our hypocrisy they can see 
that we have so many fears, we have so little trust, we have so little expression of this kind of rock-solid faith that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. I remember this lady one time in our church. She was so afraid that her children were going to go to hell. And so all the time, she would ask her kids, if you die today, are you sure you would go to heaven? And 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 uh, kind of the e questions she would say, you know, and on uh, what what would you say to God if you were to die today and and you were stand before His judgment? And and these her two daughters were were sweet girls, but they knew how to answer their mother with the right answer. But her life was not a life. This mother's life was not a life where the Lord even looked like he was her God. But especially, she did not look like a person who had put her faith or trust in God alone. She lived her life in anxiety and fear. She pushed her girls out into, you know, secular popularity and into all manner of things that took them away from an exclusive worship of God because there was a worship of people's opinion, there was a worship of things, there was a worship of status. So though she constantly asked that question, are you going, you know, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? She didn't live a life that was consistent with the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And that's what Moses is really getting at. And this is this is why I I mean maybe this is too theological in a way, but this is why that for me this passage is is so uh is is so important that we can't speak a message to the next generation that we ourselves are not living. This is what Moses is doing. Moses is speaking a message to the next generation. And he begins and he says there's a singular commandment and that commandment begins with this with your declaration of faith that the Lord is our God the Lord alone and then he says love the Lord your God love the Lord your God this is an articulation of that first commandment but this is interesting because if you remember in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are stated negatively. You shall have no other gods before me. It's a negative statement. But here, as Moses, in a sense, re-articulates that same commandment, he takes the, the negative and he turns it into a positive. Now, the prohibition is still there, right? Of any other gods, or putting any other gods in a, in a positive way. No, he's saying you got to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Now the the everything is defined in this in this passage in this commandment as first the heart, and in, in, in reality Hebrew the Hebrew use of the heart is more than the emotions. It's actually the control center of your being. The heart is both the way you think and the way you feel. It's, it's the place where your 
your deepest commitments are, where you, the things you trust the most reside there. There, it's like the vault of your beliefs and your deepest convictions, but it's also the place of your deepest commitments. So he says, love the Lord with the deepest part of yourself, with the way you think, the way you feel. Then he also says, love the Lord your God with your soul. And, and, and that might be understood in Hebrew as, as self. In other words, your identity. You know, what you base your worth on, what you base your acceptance on, what you base your, your, your sense of security and your source of life. Every human being is, is trying to get a kind of consistent sense of self. Here's what the commandment says. You want to know yourself? Love the Lord. You want a consistent sense of self? Let self be dependent on the Lord. Love the Lord with your whole self. You know, this is, this is the, in a way, the restoration of wounded ego. This is, the, in a way, the denying of self that Jesus talks about. And then he, with all your might. So, the, uh, the rabbis look at this and they say, not only loving God with your own strength, in a sense, with your physical power, but rather it's a more comprehensive term that means love the Lord your God with your stuff. Love the Lord with your property, with your your job, with your with any any place where you have power or you have possessions. So not only is devotion to the Lord commended, it's the commandment. And what flows out of this this is where then obedience comes from. Obedience doesn't come first so that God will love you. That's the Bible upside down. God loves you. You respond to him in love. Think about what John says, the Apostle John. We love him because he first loved us. He's not giving an odious commandment to us. He's not giving us a, you know, a terrible, evil commandment. Love me. No, he's saying, I have loved you. And he gives them for five chapters a history of the love of God which redeemed them from slavery. Now the Lord is saying, because I have first loved you, now love me. But love me as I am, as the only God, as the Lord alone, and as your God. And do so with everything you, you are and everything you have. See, in a way, if we're going to quote which I think he's right to quote, that we should teach all these things to our children. You can't teach them without living them. You can't pass on what you don't have. And so, a lot of times what's happened is we've reduced Christianity to morality. We've reduced Christianity to behavior, to sin management, behavior modification and we said if you're you're a Christian if you don't do these things and if you do these things and we've perverted the gospel by that because if you look and you really look at this first commandment and the second is as the first love your neighbor as yourself 
And you recognize that if you kept some of the other laws or statutes or some of the other, you know, regulations and stuff, nobody stands the test. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God with the deepest, most inner part of your being, your heart. Love the Lord your God. Have him be the source of self. Love the Lord your God with all your stuff. Um, if you try to compare yourself on the basis of certain rules and statutes, you might do okay. But when you compare yourself to love the Lord with everything, not so great. So, in a way, if we just try to pass morality down, a Christian ethic, it'll be a failure. So it becomes the reality that the commandment cannot be kept by any of us. And so the Lord had to send us a Savior. Jesus didn't come here to empower you to keep the commandments so that you'll be approved of God. Jesus came to keep the commandments for you and he offers his perfect obedience in the place of your disobedience. And it's the experience of receiving Jesus' perfect obedience and acknowledging our own failings and our own faults that we have not loved the Lord our God with everything. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. That's when real transformation starts to take place. That's what can be passed down from generation to generation. Because even though Moses preached this awesome sermon, it was not long before the people had strayed and disobeyed. And the whole Old Testament is a constant calling back to the covenant with God by the prophets of God. Israel breaks God's heart. They don't just break his laws. They commit some spiritual adultery with other gods. Yes, they are disobedient, but really they're committing adultery. He has offered them love and they've chosen love from other places. So the thing here in talking about this, the singular commandment, is that when you come under that commandment, you come under the love of God, and you say, Jesus, you have fulfilled my commandment. What Moses is unpacking here is that God's love is not mere sentiment, but that God's love is a committed love. Not here today, gone tomorrow. It's a committed love from everlasting to everlasting. And when you receive the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you come under his covenant boundaries. And his love encircles you. You are his and he is yours. And there, there really is nothing to fear in the covenantal boundaries. But again... If you want to experience the full benefits, like Moses talks about, of that covenantal love, you can't rebel against that covenantal love. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's all these very specific words that are given that indicate that he was asking that 
the entire society of Israel, that the family, that their time, their activity, that their domestic and even their civic space would be dominated by the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. We will love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We will love the Lord our God with our deepest, most intimate control center. Our trust is in Him. We will love Him with all our self. We will love Him with our stuff. <laughs> so you see, in some ways, we can talk about how important it is to transmit to the next generation our faith, but it has to be a faith that's worth transmitting. And it has to be that we've understood there is a single command. Love the Lord your God. He is our God, and there is no other. And we have to understand that if that's true, then we all fall short. And the only one who is not, the only one who has loved in that way, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we exchange our disobedience for his obedience. We exchange our selfishness for his love. Everything he did was out of love for the Father. Everything he did, he did because he wanted to, because he chose to. I can't ever get over this phrase. I, I, I think I first heard it from Tim Keller, but it might have been from another. We are so evil, so sinful, that Christ had to die for us. In other words, we're so far from keeping that first commandment, that one commandment, Christ had to die for us. Because you see, if you don't keep the one, then even the way you're keeping the others is all about self. Because if you, if you obey out of fear, you're still just doing it for yourself. So you've broken the first commandment even when you're trying to be obedient because it's all about avoiding punishment. And so only Jesus could keep that first commandment, that one commandment. And he offers what he has kept for us because not only are we so e evil and sinful he had to die for us, but we're so evil and sinful that in love he chose to die for us. This is why you can have absolute confidence in Jesus. It was not dependent on how well you would keep the, the commandments. He loved you knowing you had not kept them. And he offered to you everything that he has done to keep them for you. The Son of God did not need an obedient life. He became obedient so that we could have an obedient life. See, this is worth passing on to our kids the next generation there's some prayer points for today is there a younger person in your life that you could talk to about following Jesus Moses put the responsibility on the older to speak to the younger you can certainly ask Jesus give me the words to say and the courage to share your faithfulness your gospel to another generation and if you don't mind, would you pray for the youth in our church and the children in our church that they will see a living faith in us and that we will in all things be able to fulfill this commandment that not only at church but in their homes, in their, 
in the way we live in the community, they'll see that we have loved God with everything. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm touched this, this morning so much by Moses' passion. He himself would not get to experience the promised land. But he put his heart and his soul in the next generation. That which he had sacrificed for, that which he had had the courage to stand up to Pharaoh, to, to walk through the Red Sea, to wander in the wilderness, to fight many battles. He wanted the next generation and the next and the next to have the land of promise. Lord, may we have such a passion that even if there are things in our life that we don't get to experience, even if there are things that are changing that were seemed easier, more simple in the past, even as things are happening around us, that we wouldn't get lost in our responsibility to teach these things, to live these things. Lord, we admit we cannot love you and have not loved you the way you have commanded. So we receive the love that Jesus has and the obedience that Jesus has as our righteousness, as what makes us approved and accepted by you. Thank you that we are justified by faith, not by works. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today.